0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 254 of the MTG Grindcast, the spuckiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris apple with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. And we are joined by, I think, probably our guest with the most guest appearances, but fresh off of a modern RCQ win, so you know we had to get him on the show, Jarvis is here. Jarvis, thank you for being here
1: hey what's up uh happy
0: tuesday it is a tuesday yeah. although happy tuesday thursday well thursday when people hear this or or later depending on their <laughs> podcast listening schedules
1: well I, I i've been told on good faith that every day is Wooper wednesday if you know that meme
0: i don't know that meme
1: but oh, i'm I I a will,
2: Wooper fan
1: okay i will i will just show you it real quick it,
0: it is i thought it was
2: like choco taco tuesday like the day of morning mm, that doesn't make sense i don't think i've ever had a choco taco
0: <laughs> i don't think i have either but then seeing obviously it's just the same like promo image that gets posted with every article and it looks way better than a choco taco could ever be so every time i see it i'm like god damn i would really like to eat one of those
2: all images of food look significantly better than any food that is yeah, like of
0: course prepackaged or handed to you or whatever yeah they've just like mcdonald's it
2: yeah you can't actually eat the promo image it tastes terrible got all this glue and stuff
0: no but i want to eat a taco that looks (laughs) like the promo image but is made entirely of you know taco and ice cream all
1: right i i found i found the appropriate gif and it 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 explains itself
0: i as i I suspected the (laughs) meme is based entirely on wooper being a cute pokemon
1: (laughs) yes there's nothing else to it every day is wooper wednesday that's that's all you need to know
0: (laughs) despite it being a Tuesday. That's just not. Well, I also,
1: someone on the internet just kept replying today's Wednesday. and I'm like,
0: mm, dot, dot, dot. But we're not here to talk about little armless water Pokemon. <laughs> we are here to talk about modern and maybe a little pioneer. It sounds like you also have pioneer thoughts, I but do. you know, since, since you're coming off of a win, congratulations, by the way, I, mm-hmm. you know, was pretty confident you would accomplish that at some point this season. You played four color control, the mm-hmm. Traverse, you know the delirium heavy version correct yes yes do you want to start off just talking us through that deck why you played that version and your feelings on that deck after this weekend
1: so there were actually a few reasons i actually did play a previous modern rcq like a week before Uh, i basically just played like four tournaments in a row on two different weekends i did not do it very well i went one in three which can always happen Uh, with (laughs) sort of classic Elodarmie's Call, high land count, like two Ephemerates, and Mm -hmm. sort of like just a clunkier deck. And I think like the realization I had was after playing that version is Ephemerate kind of sucks to draw if the game's not going well already, which is kind of an issue. I think that RCG was kind of stacked. There was like me, there was Joshua, there was Jerry, there was my friend Steve Nagy, a lot of like fierce competitors jerry did end up taking it down with the traverse risen reef ephemerate package i think ephemerates like much better once you have risen reef involved obviously
2: yeah the more game pieces you can stick on the table the better ephemerate gets when you just draw it in a random turn because you can always like cycle it essentially
1: yeah it's just like ephemerate plus expressive iteration don't like obviously they're both like cards that you kind of want to draw sometimes well i guess you always want to draw iteration but specifically risen reef i think forces you down a very different path than playing Expressive Iteration because how many air cards can you play? Basically, Jerry said he wanted more of a combo version. And then just thinking about all the matches I played in Modern, there are just times where you trying to be like a linear mid-range, you know, combo-y style deck without being a full-on combo deck like Glimpse or say like mm-hmm. Creativity. I don't think that's such a, like you're just basically asking to get like railed by other combo decks is I think a huge issue. Because you're like, you're trying to be more fair, more mid-rangey than they are. And then you just end up with an issue. Okay, well, you don't have counter spell to draw to because creativity on like turn four for two. And you're like, guess I'm dead. Let's just go to the next game. So I think, yeah, you can like play the traverse elemental stuff. I think it's like reasonable to do if you really have the hope that you're going to just play a lot of 4 seniors, mirrors. Because I think that version is like, it is kind of terrifying to play against that version because then you draw a counter spell and you draw a and you're like, well, god damn it, this card is just not going to do anything now. And a lot of the games of 4C Mirrors nowadays, they actually play out very similar to, I feel, how, like, Black Green Delirium Mirrors in Standard played out. Because everyone just plays Emrakul cool now and there's enough ways to find Emrakul cool that, you know, whoever Emrakul cool is faster might be a little bit head, but just getting a lot of material and then emmer cooling when you both have a clogged battlefield, just going to win the game so often. You can envy their hand. So, you know, I think I think if there are reasons to pick both versions. And the reason I wanted to pick my version or my version, quote unquote, really cribbed from Daryl Ayers who sort of inspired all of this. In fact, he actually did share a bunch of thoughts with me. I expected, like... So I knew the event was capped at 34 people. I actually expected... Four isn't Tide decks and four Death Shadow decks. So what does that mean? Okay, first off, it means the value of having all four counterspell in your main deck is actually lowered, because mm-hmm. counterspell is actually like kind of a shit card versus them. Because what actually happens in both those matchups, in my experience, is it's really hard to be ahead enough that you can afford to leave up counterspell versus them. You're usually on the slight back foot. And if you aren't, you're going to win anyways because your cards are just like so much better than ours. If you get them out of position for their counters, you're just going to win because like you're just going to cast like your Omnath, you know, put your your hand, Flicker, like two Abundant draw a bunch of cards. Or even this happened versus it multiple times. I would just have a stable board. I would just sit there and then eventually I would just cast Traverse from Mindslaver, Mindslaver my opponent, just empty their entire hand. They can never win.
0: And, I mean, not to simplify it too much, but those decks are also both over 50% one-mana cards, which makes it, exactly yeah not ideal.
1: Yeah, so I didn't want to be in the situation where, like, I just had a clunky draw, I d- like, I would just draw, like, too many counter spells versus them and die with just, like, three counter spells in my hand, because it's actually fairly... that Like, the game's 4C loses to those decks. I think it is because you have an extraordinarily like, clunky draw, and you don't have enough interaction or removal, and your curve's not low enough. And... I think that's actually another reason I actually started to believe in Traverse the Mold. The issue with 4C is not having turn 2 plays. There's a lot of turn 2 plays. The issue is having turn 1 plays that are proactive. Because if your opponent doesn't actually play a creature that you can kill on turn 1, like, suppose you're on the play, and your removal spell is Prismatic Ending, and then they play a creature you have to kill on your turn 2, that's like a waste of a mana. But if you had Traverse in that spot, you could still cast Traverse, wait for them to play their thing, then still kill the thing on your turn two and not, like, effectively waste one mana. So I just noticed that, like, I kind of just wanted proactive things to do on turn one besides Abundant Growth. And Traverse, you know, it's not the most powerful effect, but it does smooth out your mana draw. It probably means you don't have to, like, r- worry for lands for at least two more turns. You know, it's, it's kind of just a good card.
0: And it does put the sorcery into your graveyard for unholy heed or your second traverse or whatever so you're like making a little bit of progress at least
1: right and uh i i mean one mana is just hard to beat like one mana versus two for call i mean in the late game for emrakul that's actually a huge difference because like when you get to the emrakul turns shaving one mana off to get that emrakul actually matters a lot because that's like a difference of another turn cycle so you go like Emrakul with them first and you empty their Elwadomri's Call. Or like, you know, you Emrakul your Izzet opponent that like they're drawn to a Lightning Bolt to kill you and then you empty their, like you empty all of their other stuff so they can't draw the Lightning Bolt, you know? It just, it actually does matter a lot that Traverse is better with Emrakul than Call is. Where where you actually lose points is, I think if you're playing gets like hyper linear decks in game one and you need to get that uh, Endurance by turn three versus Living End, I think Traverse is not the most reliable at that because you don't often like Unholy Heat their thing because there's nothing to Unholy Heat. So it basically is like Mishra's Bobble, hope you get a button growth on a fetch and then (laughs) cast Traverse on, you know, like it, 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 the math doesn't really work for it to be fast Mm -hmm. enough. But yeah, I think that like covers most of why. Oh, main deck Supreme Verdict. I think Verdict in the main deck is so much better when your opponents just, it's have been conditioned to expect it as a sideboard card. How
2: then, many did you play on the main board?
1: Uh I played two. And this was actually a suggestion. Like, Daryl actually sent me like three different lists, and I just looked at all of them. Then I figured out, okay, if I'm playing against Shadow and Murktide, what's the conviction that makes the most sense? And it's just two main deck verdict. And even like versus like creativity and living end, the card's fine. You just have to be careful how you play the card. Um With creativity, the matchup generally revolves around not, like, you have to, like, kill all of their Archons and just hope they're not the Grixis Persist version. Because once you've killed all of their Archons, their deck doesn't really do anything. Like, they are they just have a bunch of dead draws. And I would advise the creativity opponents from the other side, try not to just, like, small ball your 4C opponent. It doesn't work. You actually have to cruel to of them. Like, getting two Archons into play is a lot better than one. Otherwise, they can just like tank the hit, solitude your thing, you know, then you have to do it again. And then like they can defer that one. Whereas if you like do it all in one turn, you can empty their entire hand. And then it's just a lot harder for them to come back from. Of course, Supreme Verdict gives me an out there, but like maybe I have to discard the verdict because you made me discard two cards or something like that.
0: Yeah, we were, we talked about this a little bit with Nick mm-hmm. last week, just like the calculation of how many Archons to get Depend. I mean, it does depend on if your opponent is playing Supreme Verdict, right. but also uh, yeah, you do need to make sure that your Archons actually kill them and you can't get too few, you can't get too many. That's a thing that you have to, like, practice and figure out the math for.
1: Right. Uh, it's kind of funny I bring that up because I actually did play against Creativity, but they were Jeskai, so what? Do you, <laughs> there, really? there are a lot of... Um, I'll put this the most nicely. I believe their deck would not be great versus people who are prepared for Sarah's Emissary and Emerald Aeon's turn, which my deck extremely was. I actually did lose game one because the turn where I had like seven mana, I had to cast a cantrip to find iteration. I iterated into Verdict, but I... Well, no, I had to cast two cantrips, then iterate, and then I only had three mana left for my Verdict. But Verdict would have just reset him to nothing. Like, you know... If my yeah, those, just,
0: those creatures don't have ETBs, so if you don't untap with them,
1: what actually happened was they like went for it on turn four and got a Sarah's emissary named creature, which is I think probably correct because of solitude. But I was still drawing to to fairy three or verdict by that point, but I didn't draw either of those uh, fast enough. And then like a turn later, they made an emerical, and then well, that I don't know about you, you can't really tank an emerical hit. That
2: that just doesn't work. That's, that's usually true. you lose before the emerald even does combat damage <laughs>
0: well and but you know there is the alternate plan taken from a pioneer strategy which is xenogos plus emerald uh <laughs> combo
1: i i i wouldn't advise that or xenogos plus
0: world spine worm in that format but you know
1: not not a fan yeah, versus yeah. The solitudes and uh oh, like also like i think there's just a lot of decks in the format that can just
0: Oh yeah, I I think given how many solitudes there are in the format, I don't I don't believe I I don't believe that any plan except for Archons makes and maybe a backup Emmercul makes any sense. So,
1: yeah, actually uh, one last thing I did change from Darrow's original list. Uh he had three Chalice of Void. I actually swapped one Chalice to Lavinia, and I mm-hmm. played against Living in round 1. I lost game 1 and in game 2 I went to six cards. My six card hand was just three lands, Lavinia, Chalice counterswell because I had split a Chalice to Lavinia.
0: And that's a a lot better than two Chalices. So Daryl
1: actually pointed out something I'd forgotten. The reason he sides in four Veil is he has the intention of Veiling through his own Chalice to play second Chalice on zero.
2: Mm, He, I can't. can't, Does Lavinia counter your own Chalice? No, it doesn't.
1: Lavinia is one sided, which I mean, that was the beginning of fire design. Remember? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so it, it was just funny that my decision, like, probably, like, two hours before I actually showed the story actually made a difference in the literal very first match. Because, like, that hand is way better than two Chalice counterspell with three lands. Because, like, you just deploy... I didn't even play the Chalice on turn one, because that's just wrong. Because you want to protect it if you can. I think I actually played Lavinia on turn two. And in turn three, before they were about to, like, Cascade, I played Chalice with Counterswell backup.
0: Sure. Even the, like, haha, I have managed to trick the game rules into allowing me to have two Chalices in play. Like, they do have access to force. So that's not even always like, oh, we really did it here. I've definitely found that diversifying your hate against the Cascade decks, and particularly against Living End, is, like really important because their answers to hate cards are a little more specific you know grief right. aside but that's just a, a thing but the gap between subtlety and foundation breaker and like brazen bar or whatever you know there's just like if you diversify your things you make it harder for them to overload on oh these are the good answers in this matchup and they can just draw the wrong ones and die
1: yep that's a uh, completely fair it's a bit like dredge back in the day whereas a lot of people just played four Leyline, and I just noticed, like, specifically with Vintage Dredge, this is what happened. If you played one Jailer, one Leyline, one tormod script, and one, <laughs> like, some other, like, annoying thing, it was actually a lot harder for them to squeeze out of situations, because they couldn't, like, do something like Echoing Truth you or something somewhere, or, you know, like, Reverend right. Silence sometimes, you know, just, like, a bunch of weird cards. Like, sometimes they played Serenity if you just only played Enchantments and Artifacts as your hate. In older formats. So, like, just having that one Jailer, it keeps them honest. And if you don't answer Jailer or versus dredge, like, your deck doesn't do anything. It's just a two one that's going to attack you 10 times before you die.
0: <laughs> at some point, I guess if it's dredge, I was thinking, you know, at least Basking Rootwall can block it. But that's just oh, yeah, a yeah, yeah. different the, deck. The Hogak
1: decks for the Hogak decks currently, like, they're still a force in vintage and they do not fold as hard to graveyard hate for a lot of the same reasons that like Hogak and Modern did. But also, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of that is tied up in the Root Wallas plus, like...
0: Yeah, Root Wallas are a messed up card. When you can have eight Root Wallas in your Bizarre deck. They started playing
1: Badlands so they
0: can pump it as well. And Bayou (laughs) for the... uh, Like,
1: Bayou is always in. But then they started playing Badlands. Like, what the... I don't understand what's going on. they just
0: kill you with their zero drops, yeah.
1: Well, and they also play Deathrite Chaman. So they can, like, drain you out in a fair game if you're going to go that route. I mean, I I do think, like... If you play Hogak's fair game versus, like, a Tinker deck, that might not work the best. Like, you're still going to have to, like, beat their Tinker at some point. But red yeah, also gives you But you're you only power playing blast.
0: the fair game because they, yeah. like, drew two hate cards or whatever, so.
1: And also, the red gives them the access to Pyroblast, which is the perfect answer versus Tinker anyways, so, like, you know. Sure. I mean, it Yeah,
0: not to not to delve too deep into <laughs> right. Vintage, but I do think that those Hogak decks are, like, remarkably powerful.
1: Yeah. Anyways, uh, that's my rant about, like, the Lavinia actually mattered and also having chalice matters. Also, I usually side in Veil versus Living End, not just for the Chalice trick, but because they like try to like play these weird like counterspell games versus forcey. Mm-hmm. Of course, subtlety gets around all of that, but I'm trying to like play the games where they like mystical dispute my counter and then I veil them. You know, like I think also, um, no, you you can't veil a colossal sky turtle, right? I don't think that works.
0: But you can veil a grief. So yes, there's yes. a lot there.
1: Right. Uh, and that obviously matters. Like veiling a grief to protect your counter spell matters. And I think that's why like I had four from like Merktide and Shadow, but obviously I think just having a lot of them in versus living in with the way I expect most of my opponents to play actually does make sense, you know?
0: Yeah. I as a living in player have actually gotten veiled way less than I think I should have been getting veiled <laughs> and there's just a lot of spots where i'm like mm, they got veil i'm not gonna win this game uh and then it doesn't happen and that's much better for me than if it did
1: yeah um there, there was also one really cool play i had versus creativity with Dorian with traverse my opponent was like representing some counter like and i think they were going to like go for it soon and they also had a teferi so i just traversed they let it resolve and I got Ottawara, and then they could no longer creativity, like targeting their one permanent or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, those channel lands are are something.
1: Oh, I, I think
0: Sokenzin is terrible, personally, but... Uh, so I mean, the good channel lands sure. are something.
1: Okay. There, there was a, like, a week ago where I just like, posted, so Kensin, uh sends enlistment, tell me if these are the same picture corporate, please just tell me. And the answer is it's the same card, but... Since the list not remotely close to a modern playable card,
0: I did kill an opponent with Sokenzin in one of my recent RCQs. But I also like st- was staring at my deck list, playing Blue Red Prowess, trying to figure out like, can this mana base just accommodate for Den of the Bugbear? Like, is that allowed? No, is that it's possible? not. It's not allowed. It's, but... it's not. But Den is so good that like, uh, I agree. kind of want that.
1: I agree. I think Den is actually the best land in Pioneer, like by a substantial margin. Hall is only played because, like, I mean, once you can activate it, like that body's fucking enormous and it's impossible to kill. Um, so Kenzen, like, I, when I played is It Prowess, I actually played to Ottawara, but I'm not even sure that's right. And I never ever remotely considered So Kenzen, but maybe I should have. So I don't know. Like, it, it, it's extremely weird.
0: It was pretty medium. And the Odawara was. I won a lot more games by drawing the one of Odawara than I did by drawing the one of Sokenzen. So.
2: I think Sokenzin is like exactly as okay as you expect it to be. Right.
0: I, I have
1: very low expectations of that card, so i never play it. <laughs> Whereas you, like. You're happy when you draw it against
0: blue white control. That's it. Sure.
1: And Boseju, obviously phenomenal. Like Daryl has been championing four in 75. But given a the expect. Color? Yeah, one in the main deck and three in the sideboard. And the plan versus a lot of decks is just to go to four and assemble Ren plus Busseju Softlock. Like versus like Hammer, it's almost unbeatable. Like Tron, Amulet, they can't win either. I didn't play the full four. I played three. One in my main and two in my sideboard. But like <sighs> it, it's totally defensible to play four if you expect, you know, Tron, Amulet, or uh, Hammer.
0: And you can traverse for it. And that is a huge upside of, right. you know, this build of the deck. You cannot El call for... Ozeju.
1: no tra- traverse was excellent all day like it was you know i was i was got my intuition slash other people championing the deck like turned out to be correct let's see i'm trying to remember was there anything else interesting
0: well one thing that i do want to ask about is your perspective on the various like and i, I believe that dom and Ari are going to do a whole episode on this so we right. probably don't want to spend too much time because i don't know how useful that will be relatively speaking but your perspective on like the various combo-y versions of the four color deck and you know obviously you didn't choose to play one of those and it worked out fine for you but uh whether it's I guess Vivian combo or whatever else people are doing with it I guess Glimpse is like kind of a combo-y version but it's it's a very different deck
1: so I actually have played a lot of tamishi Bloom, which I think falls into the same like atmosphere of of this all of those sorts of like weird like four c forcey hybrid comboy decks. I'm if I were to play one of them, I want to play the one that is best at getting disrupted. I think the issue with like Vivian is like you play a lot of extraordinarily bad cards in your deck. Like I don't think mm-hmm. there's any debate about that. I think Glimpse is actually more palatable to me than Vivian as well, simply because The only issue with glimpse is you don't have like that many early plays like oh like your curve sort of like naturally has to start at three barring wave sifter which you can evoke on two but like the pitch elemental sort of like fudge the numbers there i mean i i think if i were to play one of those it would be either bloom or uh glimpse but i think the problem i had with bloom was that just inherently it wasn't a very powerful deck like
2: i thought it was way too inconsistent like your your cards are just so weak unless you draw like Feather right. 9, Six every single game.
1: Well, it's funny because the version I 5 o'd with didn't even play like that many runs, I think. Played like maybe like two or three, which is like obviously in <laughs> retrospect I might fix things there, like, but I also didn't feel need to try the deck again after like streaming it a few times. I know I know like Nasif was also on a big kick with the deck for a while. And I think we all just came to the conclusion that the deck was honestly just like it was fun to play, but it wasn't good. Like, there was something missing. I bet mm-hmm. I bet if there was another way to find either tamishi or Bloom consistently that didn't cost so much mana like Wargate, then the deck would actually be pretty good.
0: But I think... I, I, I do struggle to believe that a competitive modern deck is going to contain Wargate. Like, that's that's a tough sell to me.
2: Uh, Wargate's already on a Protor, right?
1: well no because it was only in the sideboard so good try i know exactly which pt you're talking about and i also cut that card from my sideboard after trying that deck a bunch on mdgo One Zivka, one so checkmate, lee
2: it's it's technically in the deck somewhere in the
1: technically but that's like saying like you have like (laughs) sideboard snapcaster in your miracles deck of the pt hayne one and do you actually think that was correct I don't know. Yeah. It probably would have been better to have it in your main deck instead of your sideboard. So it's like, who
0: who the hell knows? So are you saying that it would have been better to have the Wargate in his main deck than in his sideboard? Absolutely not for that deck, but that's, that's yeah. a completely different... Like, four reshapes
2: is enough. That was my realization. It didn't really matter too much because it got banned almost immediately after that
0: Pro Tour. Nope, we're talking about eggs for the rest of this episode.
2: <laughs> All right, I'm
1: going to divert it back to saying that the, the the major uh, issue I have with the Vivian deck is the only you I see win with it are Mengucci and Javier? And like this is like such a bad litmus test for a deck.
0: <laughs> right, top one percent players can win with like goofy deck.
1: Well, Javier fucking wins with Sephwood Breakfast Yorion Legacy. I'm just like, that's also awesome. not a great deck, but he likes it. So like the I, I I actually have a very strict standard for picking decks from those from well, picking decks in general. I think Hmm. What's the best way to play? If you see a bad player consistently winning a deck and you and <laughs> you want to figure out why, you should try that deck. Because I think that probably what's going on is there's some like hidden power level thing that you're not really realizing that actually matters a lot. Whereas like if I see like Reed a deck or like Javier 500 deck, like that doesn't mean that much to me. Like I can just like look the deck list and if nothing looks out of place, I'm like, yeah, sure, that this deck is probably fine. I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's really the bad players or b 2 winning with a deck that, that that'll get that'll get my eye.
0: Or or
2: a regular player, an average sure. player. Yeah. Well, um, I don't even think the Vivian deck is that terrible. It's just uh basically there's no compelling reason to play it over traditional four color to me. Like it doesn't really do anything that much more powerful. And it's so much more inconsistent.
1: Well, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't actually ever try it, but I did look at the cards the deck contained. Cause <laughs> I, I I have a philosophy about combo decks. The less bad cards a combo deck contains, the better the deck is, I think. That's just like that's just true of magic decks in general. But especially combo, and this is like the to go back to something that I know is very near to Lee's heart, KCI, the reason KCI was so good was most of the cards weren't actually that bad. I used engineered explosives to kill my opponent's stuff all the goddamn time like you could just like be like a weird red green mid-range deck for like three turns and then like oops i drew the missing piece now you're dead like you could but, just like f-
2: literally against humans all you did was play a chromatic start and like engineered explosives three times and you just won the game <laughs> <Yes>. yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah i mean if you had time to do that it, w- it was the best plan and like i, d- I don't know like that this is why I play EE and like the weird Jeskai cat deck in uh, Legacy because it's a combo piece that also kills my opponent's stuff. What else can you ask for in, from a combo piece, right?
2: For what it's worth, I don't think the, at least the last few builds of the Vivian deck I've seen. They don't play that many bad cards. They do still play bad cards, but it is significantly less than like Lotus Field does, for instance. In well,
1: sure. Is it like six or seven? Now, like it's Elder Guardian, it's Planebound Accomplice, at least one there's of. There's only
2: one Planebound Bound Accomplice. Well, there's so one that's... Kiki
1: Jiki and one Karmic Guide. What's the... Uh... And
0: Kiki is kind of sick. I mean, Whoa.
1: Well, like, I mean, the castability of that card is... good. The, the castability of that card has a lot of questions to me. We've got abundant growth, We're and for Vivian's, yeah, Vivian, <laughs> so we might call Vivian. a good card. I don't. If Vivian costs one less mana, I think I would be a lot happier about no. that. But six is infinite, because the reason I think five versus six is a big difference is that's the difference between Omnath Chain, like kill your opponent right away, as opposed to like Omnath wait a turn kill your opponent, which is like a significant difference.
0: Sure. Yes, six mana is a lot of mana, particularly in modern where really only one six mana spell has been playable.
1: And I think maybe a reason I don't respect the deck is the Vivian deck. Every time I played against it, a single lightning bolt broke up their combo. I'm just like, why well what's going on here? Is the deck this terrible? Or am my opponents I extremely of, bad?
2: I that's a leak of leak play, right? I think a lot of that is people going for the combo because they can't, sure. not because like it's proper.
1: Yeah, like they would just like what happened the last time I played against that deck two games in a row my opponent had four mana on turn four they played their plane bound accomplice they snuck attack in their vivian they minus. i bolted their thing and then nothing happened and yeah, all the permanents not- went to the graveyard so i'm just like i don't i mean obviously that is player difference <laughs> like that that javier and like andre are not going to do that but if a deck lets you do that consistently and people think it's right, that's also like a drawback to a deck. It's not like a feature.
2: I Yeah, I think where Javier and Andrea get their points is that they just play the game as normally as they can and I can try to like backdoor into combos. Yeah. But it, the deck list makes it really tempting to try and lean hard into that and I don't think that's where the deck is actually good. I think if you're trying to just combo every game, you should play a cascade deck.
1: I definitely agree with you. I've played a lot of, like, Kiki Pod, Moira-style decks, and, like, often I would just, like, sit there and, like, try to attack an opponent's creatures, trying to create an opening, until, like, they were forced to tap out for something, and then I will be like, whoops, now you're dead, because you have no mana up. And I think that is generally a better way to play these decks, like, generally speaking, if you do want to play the Vivian deck. Just try to, like, play your normal mid range game, and then, like, once your opponent has to, like, deal with your Omnath and shit, like, then you can cast the Vivian and try to kill them or whatever, you know?
0: Sure. Yeah, I I mean, I, I think that's 100% true. Like, you are a mid-range deck. You have a kill, like, primarily to give you, like, backdoor ways to finish games against people that, like, are going under you and, you know, whatever. You can at least threaten something. Um. And I guess also to end Mirrors in time, but that seems like <laughs> it doesn't actually help you do that because... You're each trying to stop the other person from getting a Teferi in play anyways, and then it's very difficult to combo out against the mirror, so...
2: For what it's worth, a big reason of the part I stopped playing the Tameshi deck was because there was no mid-range plan in your four-color deck, basically. You're just, mm-hmm. like, kind of all in every game. right? Yeah. And it got difficult to do. Mid-range with a combo can be really powerful. But yeah, I
0: I am afraid of the deck-building costs of of this deck, generally.
1: Yeah, I'm um, basically... I would stay away from that one unless if you really like that style of deck, in which case knock yourself out, but be aware that there is a real cost of putting all these six drops and like weird cards that are not necessarily very good to draw into your deck.
0: Sure. Now, if you were going into an RCQ where you didn't know that a substantial portion of the field was going to be Death Shadow and Merc Tide, how do you feel about Counterspell in the four color decks?
1: I would probably play four, move the verdicts to sideboard and play like one other random card. Probably like probably a random dress down in my main if I had to guess for the delirium stuff. And it's like kind of fine in a lot of matchups. And then there are some matchups where it's just like, you know, obviously has no cardboard. Like versus living end, this is just a blue card that kills itself. Like you pay two mana. Like you're casting like Reach through Mist for two mana, which is not ideal.
0: You can keep them from architects of willing you. <laughs>
1: that's not what those games are about whatsoever. Uh, well,
2: no, but I mean, I guess I could know. stop
1: you from griefing me, but that's, that's the
2: best case scenario. Yeah, yeah but then, the, and you're also
0: spending two mana. Like the the window is not there.
1: Yeah, um, a lot of I don't know. Dr- dress down as a card is kind of good, but also like kind of weirdly situational. I, th- I think the really main reason to play it in that deck is that it sacrifices itself for Delirium, like, pretty much. I mean, with Incidental uses versus Urza Saga, sometimes Merc Tide, and sometimes if you cack your opponent's Omnath, that's a no- good enough tempo swing that, y- you know, it's worth it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the original list that Daryl posed had, like, three main, right? Something right. like that?
1: I, I think most, most people, including himself, have one down to two main, but obviously, mm-hmm. like, if you really believe in the delirium stuff, then like playing three is fine. Also, if you if you do expect a lot of hammer, that is a good way to like you know clean up the matchup because there sounds extremely good in that matchup.
0: Uh, and of course, uh, how were your unholy heats? How's how's oh, that f- card? And f- fantastic! Sort
1: of... the, like that, I was playing lightning bolt in the other version, and then like I just thought about it for a while. Like bolting your opponent doesn't matter. So, like, Unholy Heat's kind of just what you want. You do have to, like, adjust your deck because you can't really play Unholy Heat without Mishra's Bobble. You also obviously have to, like, abundant growth your fetch lands, like, a lot more often in that version just to make sure it's online. But being able to just, like, kill a Ren six after it's resolved is so nice, or, like, a Jaferi, or, like, really anything, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Just one mana Terminate.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's one mana Dreadbore.
2: Yeah, one mana board. So, it's,
1: yeah, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I think everyone who plays a lot of modern just understands how good Unholy heat is. Obviously, like just like three of the top five decks play it, like shadow, merktide, and um, four seed delirium. Like, all play it. Can't really say a lot more about the card. I mean, okay. I look, I look forward to the days where it only deals four damage.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, that is very strange. I honestly, it's like a a weird bummer that it only deals four damage in a format where like fairy <laughs> hero of dominaria like sees a bunch of you know right it's just like oh this no longer is an answer to that card that i hate not having an answer for and like making unholy heat worse may have made that format worse but that's neither here nor there
1: oh the the one last thing i want to emphasize about 4c in general is i think it's actually really good versus a lot of the decks that like casual players like to bring if you ever get paired versus, like, a Boomer Jun deck as that deck, it feels impossible to lose, basically. Like, that's, like, a deck that people, like, love to bring back. Or, like, a casual, like, Tribal Goblins deck or something like that. It's just, like, you prey upon all these people who aren't really updated for the times, is how I would put it. Like, not not that that's their fault. Like, obviously, they like their deck. But it's just such a good matchup for you when you play against those people because, like, Fury is better than, like, their Goblins deck you know, I'm not this better than John, you know, it's just, it's kind of egregious that, you know, all of these cards from the last few years, just good luck competing. You, you're you not, it's not, a, it's not the same level of fight. I have a gun and you have like a stick.
0: <laughs> to, to be fair, I think that is true to varying levels of like most of the top tier modern decks. Right. Like when I'm playing living end and somebody shows up with anything that's not, one of the, like, oh, yes, I've seen somebody tweeting about this deck who is very good at magic mm-hmm. recently. Like, if if you're not in that category of deck, then it just feels like a totally unfair battle. I have to imagine that, like, Merc Tide against those decks feels pretty similar. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But Four Color does play the highest density of MH2 and similar cards, so I guess probably the effect is magnified a little bit there.
1: Also specifically, like the casual decks tend to be creature based, and I don't know if you've ever played four C versus like random creature decks. That's exactly what you want. You're just Mm -hmm. trying to avoid like the fucking belchers or whatever, you know. (laughs) But casual (laughs) players are not like, uh, like a casual yeah a casual modern player because it's not fun. Well, hold, hold on, it's fun for a very specific type of person.
2: But those and, people are not casuals. Well <laughs> they're no, no. There,
1: there, there's a few people I know that are like that, but I, you'll know. You'll know. Like these are like the Ari Laxes of the world, you know? Like Ari would like play Belcher for fun through a league. Most people oh, are the not going to Pro tour
0: champion that. Ari Lax, the yes. casual player. Like, yeah, <laughs> well, that's not well, quite but, the demographic. But, but you know I'm talking I mean. about like, here.
1: You know, if you wanted to play a deck not like intending to win the tournament you know, she might sweep that up because it is like it is probably worse than like the top five decks, but it's not unreasonably worse. It also does like do a very weird thing that happens to be well positioned versus like maybe one or two of the best decks, you know?
0: Yeah. But generally like people who are not super, uh, invested and up to date who enjoy playing magic and like have their deck and they're coming to a tournament because they saw it on the store's calendar, right? They're coming because they want to play magic. And that means like playing creatures and playing spells and having some back and forth
2: i mean they could even have modern car- modern horizons cards like, like yes. every blue white urza deck essentially sure, or, sure. Right. like that deck's not going to be for color control
1: i believe that matchup is very good and i struggled to figure out how i could lose to it because they don't really kill very quickly and they try to like mid-range sort of and that's just not they a generate
2: fun... advantage at a less <laughs> good rate than you do it's yeah. just a fun <laughs> deck people will play it but it is not for winning the tournament
1: i i think the way i could lose to that deck is if they happen to have doctor sword
2: i think every list does yeah but That's they would have
1: point. to have a lot a lot of copies of it and i think most of the lists don't play like max copies right like i yeah. i think if i were to play urza doctor sword i would just like literally just like jam like a million i would play Thor for dr foundry three Sword of the meek i might even play a worm invention hell fuck it like the card's not Ooh. that bad and also like War is cheapened by all of these like random artifacts and constructs that you have lying around. I don't know.
0: The Urza decks need some sort of like actual tutor, right? Like They need some sort of like, artifact traverse or something like that, because War is just so expensive.
1: Well, I was going to say, these artifact decks need a mox. If only there were a way... Sort of, if only... Yeah. If only there was a mox...
0: There was some sort of mox.
1: That wasn't bad. I'm banned. kind of hoping
2: they'll print one with like Metalcraft or something and like an upcoming artifact set. I don't know, that sounds pretty good. I mean, we'll see. I don't know. We've never tried it before.
1: It won't be legendary this time. This time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like that. That that Urza, is kind. Of, Saga could yeah. find
0: such a mox. I bet that would be pretty good.
1: It it would be. Yeah, that's basically my thought on how I picked. Like going into this whole RCQ season, I was just like, I'm going to like pick four C for basically all of them, unless if there's a real reason I believe I should play Mark Tide or Shadow on a given weekend. Mm-hmm. Just because 4C like has the density of stupid cards, it has like the built-in insurance versus like random like random non-combo decks, like random creature decks. So I just thought like, you know, at, at this level for me personally, if I just play a highly interactive deck, it's kind of hard for me to get screwed out of a game, I think.
2: No, I agree. I think the four color decks one of the one of its biggest strengths is how consistent, how like smooth. All the draws are even, even despite the fact that you're a Yorion deck and you can like clump or flood heavily sometimes.
1: I, I think Traverse helped a lot there because I actually ran the numbers. Like Traverse plus Measures Bobble, which is like basically like 28 out of 30ths or 28 out of 80 of a land. Like so, your like your opening like average land count is actually like 3.2 or something when I when I looked at it, you like just averaged across all hands you could generate from the deck
0: do you have any thoughts on the time problem like did you do anything specific to manage your your match length and your your clock management or you know what what do you think about that i
1: tried but versus others versus a player on the other side who is slow that you don't necessarily want to antagonize it is not the easiest and in fact i did get a draw versus creativity opponent. I'm also kind of rusty on trying to enforce this sort of slow play stuff after two years of not having to do it, especially with a deck like this. Most of the decks I play like close very, very quickly. Like, if you play Death Shadow or Markide, this is not an issue. Your bones are always dead in like three turns once you have the game on lockdown, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is uh, a thing that we have been seeing a lot, right. both talked about and just like at tournaments that we've been at. We've seen the number of draws uh, involving various four color configurations and, and players. And yeah, it, it's tough. The deck just doesn't close that quickly. It doesn't turn around like it takes control of the game. But then even fury attacking is like, yeah, that's three turns of attacks before you're dead and you may not quite have time and it'll die to a lightning bolt. And it's just like tough to deal the 20 sometimes. The the, the one exception is I think if you are in position to
1: traverse for Emrakul, that almost always kills fast enough, but it's not always that easy
0: depending on the situation. Well, and that's also, that's not happening unless you're already in a 10-turn game, you know? Yeah, like, pretty much.
1: I mean, like, I think the earliest you can traverse in this version for the and casted is probably, like, turn five, and that's with your ideal draw. You would have to have your Omnath not be killed. You have to have Delirium, and you also have to have, like, the growth on Fetchland and, like, all the other stuff go exactly right.
0: These are not the games that we're worried about when no. we're, like, looking at the clock, so. no, no.
1: I think one thing a four C player can do is if you're going to fetch a land, don't just wait until your opponent's end step. Just like just say go and just like put the fetch and put the land face down and then when your opponent says go back, just reveal what land you fetch and then just like present the deck to them.
2: Yeah, usually what I do is I'll I'll like start a fetch at the beginning of your turn and say yeah. I'm gonna get this, I'll reveal it to you at the end of your turn.
1: Exactly. So, um, Because like, So they don't be
2: like, why are you picking up your deck? Are you fetching now? What's going on? Why is the card face down? Just (laughs) be very clear.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and just tell them, I'm doing this with the assumption that you're not going to do anything on your turn one. Like, if they go, like, fetch go, or if they, like, cast something, they'll be like, "All right, I'm going to get this one instead and kill your thing or whatever, but I think most people are generally okay with it, and they do appreciate that you're, like, trying to save time because, like, you're not calling them slow, you're just taking an action that speeds up the game.
2: It's also not trivial to fetch as one specific land in an eighty card deck.
1: I actually a few times over and over and over again went past the land I was looking for because my brain just like didn't see it the first time. And then I had to go back and then I found it on the second time, which wastes time as well. Like that's on me. I think... Ideally, get your, uh,
0: get your showcase, catch your triumphs so they're easier to find.
1: I was just, I was about to say, like, if you white border those lands, they're probably easier to find if you really want to <laughs> do that sort of Swan. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like the fetching thing is a problem. You do fetch like a million times per game because of run six, because you have a lot of fetches. Traverse also causes problems. They're traversing for a specific creature is a lot faster, generally speaking, like because your brain like finds those a lot faster. Like it's easier to recognize.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is definitely true. It's not just that, you know, the deck is a controlling deck, then the games go long and you don't kill them that fast. But you also are fetching so many right. times per game when you're a Ren deck. When you're you're a Ren deck, like, you know, creativity or whatever, and you're trying to end the game quickly, like the shuffles don't necessarily contribute to going into time as often. But in this deck, that is that's a big deal.
1: I actually also had like, Kind of problems just shuffling all eighty cards at once. So I would just like subdivide the deck, just shuffle two draft decks separately, and then like sort of mash them together at the end. But it's just like I kind of I don't really f- enjoy the physical action of playing the deck. It's like kind of terrible, honestly. But I do recognize it's like my best chance to win a tournament. I think generally speaking, I, I whenever just...
0: anybody presents their double sleeved Yori on deck for me to cut, I'm j- it just like. I feel sad for them, and I also don't appreciate like having to do that
2: with my own two hands.
1: Yeah, it's kind of bad. But I do I what mean,
2: Jarvis said. I split the deck because yeah. at the beginning of the game, I will shuffle it. But once they're fetching and stuff, they just get like some cuts. I don't Oh have time. yeah, All this. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I, I don't. I think most people are generally on the up and up. So I'm just like, I want to just save time. Just like maybe like one shuffle and one cut, and then that's it. But like. The, the problem the problem especially in those mirrors is it's going to take a while to kill your opponent and also like additionally you have to decide if well is it always best to be the first one to emerald on? it isn't and we discovered that in the like old delirium mirrors in standard mm-hmm. so it's just like it, it, the problems compounded strategically speaking
0: yeah the mirrors are long and also difficult and the amount of time you spend thinking contributes to that too so that's it's a lot of work and if you're going to bring one of these to the tournament then you need to know you know you need to have internalized like your proper fetching patterns without you know you shouldn't be thinking really hard about what land to fetch on turn one two and three you also should if you're going to be serious about taking one of these decks to a tournament, you should understand the mirror pretty well so that a lot <laughs> of your decisions are things you've seen before and not stuff that you need to like work through from first principles because your opponent like is casting Teferi on this turn with two mana up and you need to like think through all the possibilities.
1: It's funny you say that I didn't actually have like a sideboard plan for like a mirror, but that's because I think there's so many like variations on the deck. That's like kind of hard to have like a set sideboard plan for a so-called mirror I, A lot of it i think is contextual but also i think a lot of it was the sideboard i had like specifically there weren't actually that many cards you could bring in like mm-hmm. all of the cards were in my main deck essentially so then you just have to decide if you want to do a few side swaps but like i kind of think those mirrors are just strategic and not like sideboarding
0: most of yeah. the time yeah I, I think it's about your plan and about. Yeah. Making the inter- each interaction as good for you as possible almost more than anything else. Because it's just all the deck the, the decks are all one for ones and two for ones, and you're just trying to manage that the best you can.
1: Yep. I think probably the card I'm most likely to bring in is just extra lands, like to be fair. Like the extra ghost ages are probably just gonna come in just so like I don't get mana screwed out of a game.
0: Hmm. Oh really? Okay. I see I I mean that makes a lot of sense, but I wouldn't even have thought of it without you know, sitting down for a while.
1: The, there's a lot of matchups with that deck that you actually side in all of the Busajus, even though, like it's not apparently obvious. Like versus Burn, you have all of them in, not only because it's on untapped green source, because it kills both Rolling Vortex and Idol of the Great Rebel. Mm-hmm.
2: So there's like a so lot of actually really good against Burn. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: I've watched specifically Steve play a lot against Burn because in these D- like local team trios events, he's played the matchup a lot. Every time I've watched the game, Lastigel would have been excellent almost every time. So like I I actually like spent a lot of time like studying up on the deck without actually playing it, just in the virtue of being in a team event with him, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, of course. No, I learned so much by watching games.
0: Uh, speaking of watching games. Actually, I don't know if, if anybody actually was watching this game that we know, but you did play against Allen in the finals of this RCQ, right? right. So, Allen Swan is a good friend of ours, and he's this is, I guess, the second RCQ this season that he's made the finals of, and he also mm-hmm. top-aided that I was on a trip with him for. So, strong player, and we really want to see him get there. This. T- tough to see him lose to another friend of ours playing playing some grinding breach and uh running into jarvis unfortunately do you want to talk about that type of matchup at all
1: yeah it's kind of weird i actually tried the grinding breach deck before shredder and i was like the deck is fine it's not exactly ideal because i think the problem i had with the deck is you have a lot of disjointed draws the deck and i think like specifically in game one if alan had drawn something that wasn't like A mox Amber and grinding station. I might have actually lost. Like, then that's like sort of one of the issues with the deck. Like, you have all of these like nonsense cards that enable your combo. And obviously together, like, if you get all of them together, your opponent dies, but also can be like, if you're on like a weird beatdown plan with like Ragavan and Ledger Trader, I'm not sure you want to draw all those cards because like you can just be like a Merktide deck by that point. And that's sort of what happened game one. Like, also there was a Grape Shot for 5 that killed my Endurance and like one of my X-1, oh an Ice Fang. But it wasn't uh-huh. enough to kill me. Like it was just like a value breach into like, you know, kill some of my stuff. And I'm like, this is kind of annoying, but I'll probably deal with it. I think generally the way 4C can lose in that matchup is twofold. Saga obviously making like two like seven sevens 7s or whatever is a way to lose. The other way you lose is Underworld Breach. But I actually specifically tanked a bunch of Ragavan hits in game one to avoid getting breached by leaving up Counterspell. So I'm just like, I think I can let him hit me like three times with Ragavan and still win the game pretty easily, as long as I'm not getting breached. I think a lot of people would not do that, and they would cause him to die to breach more often than not.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, getting hit by Ragavan is very scary. but and, and that's kind of like the point mm-hmm. of the deck, right? Is that right. you... Put them into a spot by attacking them with creatures and like yeah. either force them to do something or make them make a mistake because nobody likes getting hit by Raghavan or, or Dragon's Rage Chandler or whatever over and over again. Uh, mm-hmm. And then once they do make a move, then you got them is, is kind of the whole point. So if you don't let that happen mm-hmm. to you, then you you can refuse to play into their game plan as much as possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I've played, like, so many matches for Splinter Twin that I know when I can wait and when I can't wait. Like, it's the same sort of skill set. I think a lot of people probably don't have that skill set and they, like, just panic. Like, the, the cards that were revealed from Van were also not that bad for my Bundle like, Reveal. They hit Lan, Lan, Emrakul. I actually think losing the Emrakul is a non-zero amount because I think if I got to Mindsway with them, I can probably kill them with their deck pretty easily if they let me.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the cards in their hand is probably an Underworld Breach. Yeah, you, exactly. You can easily kill yeah.
2: somebody with their own Underworld Breach. <laughs> I think one of the the main draw to Raghavan is actually getting the mana generation from uh-huh. the Breach deck, not necessarily the cards of your opponent's deck. Because yeah. your game plan's right. insular. You're, that's not really what you're banking on.
1: Yeah, is I think the problem was, like, it, it didn't actually, like, threaten me enough to, like, actually con- force me to do something that was just able to tank mm-hmm. three hits and then like set up shop and then like be unable to lose, which is kind of the dream. Like the grape shot for five was kind of terrifying, but like then he just like ran out of stuff. And then like gorion like drew me three cards and like the game was over because that's what the deck does. And like, and just winning from that point is formality. It's also like, I don't think it's actually that easy to kill an Omnath opponent with like scrappy beat down. If you're not dedicated to the beat down, because like if, like, like I said if the mock amber and Grinding station had been like two more creatures, maybe I would have lost.
0: yeah yeah so probably a, a an important lesson for four color players playing against a, a deck like breach is like just relax, pay attention and think about whether these creatures actually are going to kill you now or if you can afford to like keep protecting yourself from the combo.
1: yeah and also like a good thing to notice specifically in the version I had I was playing a F- fury and two verdicts. So if they like do overextend and try to like scrappy beat down you all the way, it's pretty easy for you to punish them if you have the right like it's not even that unlikely that you can get like one of those three cards in a timely fashion. Like because Traverse with Delirium, Fury, they're bored, like none of their creatures are actually that big. So it it kind of works out, you know?
0: Well, one of their creatures is pretty big, but most of them aren't.
1: Yeah, well, they all died of a Supreme Verdict. In fact, I left in all my verdicts because I was told by the Previous 4C player who played against him, that he actually like sides a little bit down on the combo versus 4C. I'm not even sure that's right. I think if I were him, I would just like leave in all my combo and just try to like create that opening.
2: I, I think if you want to sideboard all, well, you have to sideboard down on the combo. That's what your deck is.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. It was kind of hard to identify which cards of his were what because they were all like Japanese, like Strixhaven or Japanese, like <laughs> secret wares. I'm like, Like on turn one, he like of game two, he like played pithing needle. I'm just like I I don't know what that card is. I've never seen it, and it (laughs) turns out it was pithing needle. And I'm just like I've never seen that printing.
2: It was like the the Phyrexian one thing, right?
1: No, it's double masters. Yeah, yeah, it's it's
2: um it's a blink moth or an ink moth.
1: Yeah, but when he named Busage who endures, I'm like, okay, this guy actually does know what's going on the matchup because I think most people would. A, not have the foresight to bring it in versus 4C because they're like, oh, it can be removed. I'm like, that's not what matters. Like, you have to force me to have it. And B, like, naming Boseju so you can combo in the turn protected actually makes the most sense. And also just like Boseju, I think is pretty good for him because of all of the sagas and shit as well.
0: Alan definitely does know what he is doing with that deck and in general.
1: I think he had the fear in game 2 and I think there was a window I would have actually died to breach if he had gone for it and he mm-hmm. didn't go for it. Then I, I think I top deck to be safe. But like, Obviously, like, it's not that easy. And I think this is something that's pretty common when you're playing against, like, maybe... What's the right word? Players whose names you recognize, you expect them to have it more often. The reality is that's, like, statistically just not true. That's not how that works. You should just, like, assume they're a robot drawing random cards off their deck. Unless you have some reason to believe that they're not drawing random cards, like, because, like, they played in a certain way. But besides that, like... I think if he had analyzed the game, he could have been like, oh, I can try to kill you here and it's likely to work. But, you know, I mean, obviously, I I don't know his exact hand. It's so hard to reconstruct if he actually had that window or not. But it had the feeling that he was sitting on a breach where it would have killed me at some point.
0: Yeah, I have learned that lesson and my default now, I mean, in general, like I'm pretty happy to go for it. But especially like with players that I recognize and with players that I'm like, I think this player... Has my number. If this person is better than me, then I want to, like, if I have a window that might end the game, then I just want to kind of take it rather than, like, get outplayed three turns down the road. So I uh probably at this point am more likely to go for it, just like, eh, they might not have it. And then I don't have to, like, deal with playing against this dude who I know is better than me for that much longer, <laughs> either way.
2: I have a little anecdote, not even really an anecdote, but something I've just noticed like playing magic for a very long time or other card games in general just just lots of play uh i will if i'm ever unsure of something and i'm like i've got a gut decision to do something or not to do something and i can think my way through it and be like no i was initially wrong and here's why and i do the thing i have come to realize that my gut is right way more often than not because it's analyzing things at a level much deeper than I can while I'm thinking at the forefront of my mind, essentially. Like I yeah. don't know, it doesn't know what's wrong. It can't tell me, but it's that feeling that's it's it's seen this situation come up before and it knows what to do. And I've just kind of learned to like roll with that. Yeah. Not try to overthink things way too much.
1: Yeah. I think generally the fear from the other side is I've I've learned this over the years is people don't like to look foolish. And that's why they don't want to go for it. And then, like later, if they lose, they're like, "Oh, I was playing around this thing." But I'm like, "I I, and if if you can tell, if you can tell everyone,
0: well, I was playing around this and this, and then it turned out they had this. But you didn't like get blown out immediately. You just like lost this longer game. Then it like you seem smarter. You feel like you were really engaging in Magic the Gathering the way a good player would.
2: I've also had the other thing happen where I'll go for something that I know is risky, but it gives me a shot. Mm -hmm. My opponent has the thing, and then I lose. Yeah. And then the first words out of the math after signing the match slip is, why did you go for that? And I'm like, well, I had to.
0: <laughs> if you didn't have it, then yeah. we, the match slip would be the other
2: way. So, and, like, I, I knew you, yeah. this was a possibility. I didn't go yeah. into it blind.
1: And sometimes you go for it. It doesn't work, but you still continue playing, which is fine. Yeah. And like, I don't know. It, it It's just that sort of thing is a pretty common occurrence. I'm just, I want to advise your the wonderful listeners of this podcast that your opponent's name does not matter. Just the situation matters. Whether it's going to get better or worse for you matters. Those are the things you should be thinking about.
0: And I don't know if it, you know. This is not to say that, like, you know, your name got in Alan's head or anything like that. I have also, like, watched Alan and then see him go for it in spots where I was like, oh, wow. But if they have this and then been like, oh, yeah, that was just right. Alan is not afraid to go for it. And so I have no idea what actually happened in your match or anything. But
1: maybe he didn't even have it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just
0: felt like to me that he had it because at some
1: point he went for a value reach to force out my endurance in hand. But there were like a. Few turns where, like, I didn't actually have the endurance because I had to traverse for it. So, I don't know, like, it's kind of complicated. I, it's also like impossible for me to remember the exact details now, like, like two days later, and also like a bunch of hours of sleep later, where like my brain has cleared out (laughs) the junk from my memory because that's how brains work. Um, so maybe I, I want to give him credit. I think he did play well. It's just that I think a lot of people in my situation would have gotten impatient and gotten themselves killed, but. I'm just like willing to let them hit me with the Ragman because I don't think it's going to matter when I can clean it up all later.
0: A pretty basic figuring out what to prioritize in the matchup, what is important. And there's just examples of like times that it's difficult to correctly make that distinction and, and figure out what it is. And certainly like. Getting hit by a Raghavan is one of the more terrifying things, and you kind of, like, your brain is just telling you not to let it happen, so that's a tough one Mm -hmm. to to do, but sometimes it's right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's generally right when you think you can get out of it a few turns later, Mm -hmm. and it's probably wrong if you can't even get out of it a few turns later based on the context of your hand, so that's just like a judgment call you have to make, but I thought I, I could escape it, and I could, so... It, it worked out, you know.
0: Sure. I don't know. Did we have any pioneer thoughts we need to go yeah, over? Yeah,
1: I, I actually have a lot of pioneer thoughts because I actually did play pioneer the the Saturday before it, and I actually had two decks saved up. I had is it prowess, which on your recommendation it like felt pretty strong. I tried the version from Fournier, and it also made a lot of sense to me. I did act, I actually did go back to the fourth of reckless rage. So I was having weird issues with green, because if you play only strangles instead of like if you have three strangle, three rage instead so of four rage, three strangle, you can get into weird spots where it's like actually difficult to make progress. But Sprite Dragon was phenomenal for me. And I think Reckless Impulse. Here's what I'll say about Reckless Impulse and Of One Mind. I don't like either of the cards. They're both
0: bad. Yeah. They're
1: both yeah. bad, but I believe Reckless Impulse's four is slightly higher than of one mind's four. And which is why I think that card is better. I'm not saying it's good. In fact, I wish it wasn't in the deck, but, you know, you can't do it. And to to follow that up, Fornia's Sideward Guide had him taking out Treasure Cruiser a screen. In the first match, I did that and I'm just like, wait, why the fuck wouldn't I just cut Reckless Impulse first? This isn't making goddamn sense. And then I immediately fixed it, in the next match I played against Green, I just, like, steamrolled them with my Essential Recalls instead of, like, my fucking, like, bad nights whispers you know
0: (laughs) yeah the charger cruises were very good in games against even green i i i was kind of shocked when i saw that guide not just just that recommendation i think the rest of the guide seemed pretty solid but
1: i i think he just like got into his own head on that cyber guy and didn't reevaluate because i think like maybe he had some success just like running them down with aggression but I explained to him, I think it's a lot easier to run them down with aggression if you just fucking treasure cruise into an aether gust. Like, yes. I mean, I, d- I don't understand. Like, the-, the goal of the matchup in a post port game, as is it prowess versus green, is to gust away all of their cavaliers and attack them with sprite dragon. Because with shredder and sprite dragon in your deck instead of young pyromancer, it's actually pretty easy to assemble lethal flying damage extremely quickly. That was my observation playing the deck. Like, you, yeah. I think unopposed, your deck is probably like a turn 4.5 deck on average. But like, I, obviously, there's usually opposition.
0: Yeah, actually, and the the game plan changes fundamentally when you have young Pyromancer and you actually play this like board stall plan and kill them. I do think that the Sprite Dragon plan is probably generally quite a bit better against Mono Green, but you just have to play it differently if you have the other threat. Uh, I I do just want to say that like honestly, the main reason that I would prefer Reckless Impulse over of One Mind is because it doesn't double down on like, oh, my opponent has a Narset in play. This is a really bad situation because <laughs> uh, okay. Treasure Cruise yeah. draws cards and then having of one mind also get turned off by Narset was like a problem multiple times for me.
2: So, so
1: it's funny you bring that up. The deck that actually won the Pioneer RCQ was one of our uh, formal, uh, former National Team's members, uh, Joel Sodowski. And I don't know if you know Joel, he plays only two ways. Either it's like linear aggro or mid-range or like derpy, like demure control. And that's what he was playing. <laughs> and if you know this about me, I fucking loathe those decks now, especially in Pioneer, because A, I think your mana base is bad. And B, I think most of your cards are bad. But I think structurally speaking, the deck is set up well versus specifically is it style decks. He played six is it style decks in the tournament. So <laughs> I mean, not to knock Joel. I think his pairings were a little bit fortunate, but also I think he also won some matchups that weren't is it because he's like a better player and it's still a highly interactive deck. I would. It's just I fucking love those decks. They're just like <laughs> they're, they're they're generally not not where I would want to be at. Like. This is like just like the Nasif phenomenon, just in paper and in a slightly I think different deck. Those take. decks
2: have uh, not received as many printings as the other decks for the last decade or so. So, agreed. It is more defensible because you're no longer
0: like choosing to play a non expressive iteration color combination sure. where you could be playing an expressive iteration color combination. So it's not as nightmarish <laughs> of a choice as it was, a, a, right. you know, a couple months ago.
1: Right, but so. To to actually circle full about the two decks I had built were Is It Prowess and Green Devotion. I actually consulted a lot of people about which deck I should play. A lot of the better players I respected said, Okay, Is it Prowess has been getting hammered on MTGO. You probably shouldn't play it. So you should just play Green Devotion. Then a few people said they thought, Okay, the problem with Green Devotion is if you play against a bad player in mirrors, it's you're like kind of flipping coins even though you're probably better than them, because that's not what the matchup is actually about. Because, like, I think most people can figure out, oh, if I have Cavalier of Thorns on turn three, I should cast it looking for my thing. And then, like, you don't need a lot of knowledge to actually understand how to combat with that deck once you get to that point. And I honestly think the combo is ancillary to the deck. It's only there to lock down a game where you've basically achieved, like, okay, I have a dominant board. You probably lose a bunch of ways, but... Killing your opponent is better than not killing your opponent, generally speaking.
2: Yes, I've found it's that just an easy case. Way. But I, I do agree. It's ancillary, ancillary, ancillary. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I, I think who uh, I actually think Alan Wu discovered the chain veil to speed up the combo because he was just like looking at Gatherer. And I think he also does like play Commander occasionally. I know that like weird chain veil combo comes up in some versions of decks at some <laughs> point. So I don't know. Like, it's really funny that that was discovered. A lot of people didn't even know why the Chain Veil was in their sideboard when I talked to them at this RCQ, and I'm just like, <laughs> okay. The the actual answer is, if you have eight devotion and some floating mana, it actually lets you kill your opponent on the spot instead of having to have fourteen. Like and 14. yeah, it's not just fourteen. You have to have
0: two, two copies of each. Of each. Worker, yeah,
1: yeah. So it actually like it reduces the necessary like you know conditions for the combo to work by a lot okay and i will admit there was a game where i fucked up the combo because like i actually used chain veil too many times to untap my nykthos instead of using it again to i don't know like basically i fucked up and i didn't have enough activations but my opponent was virtually dead anyway so it didn't actually matter i was at like 50 life versus like some like aggro deck so like i just i like Oh, it was versus Azorius and Soul. That's what it was. But the Karn is also
0: super problematic for their deck. So like I don't know. It didn't actually matter that I fucked up. So I do appreciate the point. It certainly is meaningful that like Prowess is getting beat up on Magic Online. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways that is not the most relevant factor when you're choosing an RCQ deck, which I think you probably were getting to at some point. Yep. Especially with what you were saying, like you're not getting a ton of matchup points. You're not getting a ton of equity, like in mono green mirrors because of your play skill and your experience, because you're just, you know, racing to ramp. My experience of playing the prowess deck in paper was I got to leverage my combat math skills in ways that Mm -hmm. like, made my opponents make mistakes in a lot of games and like there were matches that i like lost quote if deep blue was playing on both sides or whatever Mm -hmm. but i i don't know how much i was like walking opponents into anything but i definitely just had opponents like make missteps not realize like how quickly Mm -hmm. they could be dead to something not realize like what an ether gust would do to the game and um i don't know how much that happens when you're playing mono green but it happened a lot when i was playing prowess
1: yeah, no, that's a big issue with the deck. Like, because it the the plays of Monogreen are extremely scripted. Even though it's like it's obviously an obstructively powerful deck, it's very easy to predict what's going to happen on most turns. The range of plays is very limited. And also, like, if you're playing against a you know a player who like they know how to take advantage of that. If you cast like one expensive spell per turn, and they have aether gust. And like disdainful stroke with some aggression, it can turn into a nightmare very quickly. Like mm-hmm. because you're just like, all right, this is my one spell per turn. This is my one spell per turn. Oh, it's not good enough. Well, that sucks. And also, round one, I played against Boros heroic. I know we knows a lot about that deck. That and that that matchup is a nightmare if they ever draw Godswelling. You're actually just dead in most of those games. Game one, fortunately, my opponent didn't draw God's Moines, so they just only had a 12-12-10th 12, 12, District Legionnaire that doesn't actually kill <laughs> Connect. me. But yeah. then I eventually just, like, for four like, Meteor Golem. Like, I was at, like, Six Life when all of this went down, but I carned for Meteor Golem and killed it because it was just the safest play because that means they also need, like, A, another big creature to get another big creature, and B, a way to get through Meteor Golem,
0: which is a lot harder because it's colorless. It's an artifact, so they need Invigorated Rampage. And a large amount of power. Yes, and a lot of power.
1: The, the other two games, I got fucking obliterated. Like it was. Really <laughs> yeah, that so, seems like, almost impossible. No, like <laughs> I was sort of hopeful after game one because, like, even this matchup is like forty percent. I'm still like, I'm actually in reasonable shape to steal one of the two games, even if it's like a forty percent matchup.
2: But mm-hmm.
1: it wasn't meant to be, which is fine.
2: It's it's kind of one of those matchups where it's not that bad, but the games you lose are not close. Right. They're not competitive. Right. It's just
0: like Virtuoso, unblockable, hit you for sixteen with it. Literally no card in your deck does anything in that spot. It feels really bad. So I have a question for you. If okay, your opponent's like your opponent,
1: you know, leads on the favored hoplite or whatever, but they don't have Gigantha, what deck like, what does that tell you about their deck, their heroic deck? And I think this is something that people don't think about enough. Because like if you look at if you study all the stock decks heroic, they virtually all have gigantha.
0: Mm, I don't know all the builds of heroic. I would just assume that they don't like Gigantha, because I just despise having a Gigantha in my sideboard.
2: I uh, is there any double white or red spell that's worth playing? Like maybe a some a random planeswalker in their sideboard? I don't think I'd play any differently in game one.
1: So later in game two, I found out Feather was in my opponent's deck which doesn't affect me as Green sure. Devotion. And in fact, I think it's actively good for me that Feather's in their deck, rather than like yeah, something that actually meta. kills me. But the way the game played out, I eventually like died. It didn't really matter. I had seen versions of this deck that weirdly play Phalanx Leader on MTGO. So I was thinking hmm. about that, and I'm like, that actually is kind of terrifying because it does speed up the clock like by a significant amount.
0: But I have to remember what Phalanx Leader is. It's the one that puts a counter on your team
1: yeah, when it's targeted, it's it was a bomb in Theros Woman did. Yeah. Like I'm not even joking. The way. That, oh,
2: this card. Yeah. Okay, I know the. Uh, okay.
1: And the only reason I thought that was I'm in a Discord where some guy was experimenting with like weird cards in Pioneer, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm playing Felix," and I'm like, "Oh, that's cool. Was it good for you?" And he's like, "Not really, but I wanted to try it." <laughs> so you know, I mean, props. I, I props to people trying things. You know.
2: I, see, I'd be, I think, like a, a random side planeswalker worker to me is way more right. likely than feather because I, I really like feather. I think the card's super cool, but I don't think it's playable.
1: I also did not really understand why it was in my opponent's deck, but you know, it didn't matter in our matchup because
0: I still got fucking annihilated the other two games.
2: It doesn't really matter yeah, in most it, matchups. That's a problem with it.
0: It's a card for a standard type pump spell deck that's like trying to like play several turns of a game and stuff it's not a card for an illuminator virtuoso prowess type heroic deck
2: yeah illuminator virtuoso and and feather are just not compatible in the same deck even though they have the same colors and share similar conditions they're just not the same strategy
0: so not only would i not necessarily like think about feather if my opponent didn't present gigantha like i would think it's probably more likely that either they forgot or just didn't bring it because they don't want to have to remember it (laughs) um which is that's the ccr game plan you have the ccr stamp of approval for that decision but i also wouldn't really adjust my play because the scary thing that their deck can do is all like non-feather stuff and that's what i would want to be like playing to address so
1: yeah well didn't really matter one way or the other one thing about the planeswalker comment I think it's pretty common for that deck to have Showdown of the Skulls on the sideboard, and I think that card is just way better, so mm-hmm. it'd be kind of weird to have, like, a double casting cost uh Planeswalker instead of Showdown of and the Skulls. And I, yeah. I don't even think they max out on Showdown because, like, how many 4-drops can you realistically play? It sh- right. Showdown, every time I saw it cast on the deck was fucking insane. Like,
0: It does seem a lot better than a Shandra or something like that.
1: Yeah. like It would just flip, like, land, you know, 1-drop, one 1-drop, one like, something else I don't know it just looked broken
0: every time that makes sense to me
1: trying to remember if there was oh I do have a funny story about pioneer involves one Timothy Wu and I don't know if you know this person but it's one of my former teammates over at mass drop before this tournament we actually ran into each other in a pioneer league on mtgo where I was 2-2 with green devotion and Tim was playing mono red so I don't know if you know anything about Tim he loves to attack that's the only thing he only wants to play like honest creature decks no matter what the format uh spoiler, he played Grix's Death Shadow the next day. That's how I knew one of the people was going to play Shadow. So he's playing Mono Red, I'm playing Mono Green. And in game three, I have the combo, and instead of like making me do it, she just asks me if he's dead, and I'm like, yeah, you're mega dead. And he just <laughs> walks out. And then like a few hours later, he's like, Should I play Mono Red or should I play Is It Prowess? I'm like, you should definitely play Izzet Is It Prowess. Because it's a much better deck, and you play a broken card in the format, which is Trigger Cruise. And The next day, he's like, "Yeah, I watched half of your video. I'm switching to Is it Prowess? Last round of the tournament, he could not draw into top eight. He had to play it out and lost with Is it Prowess instead of fucking like shit Mono Red." (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, Mono Red's not not a good one.
1: But Mono Red is like Is it? Except you remove the card that's like that shouldn't exist, like in like in the format.
2: Yeah, it's really it's really a uh, (laughs) an Is it deck. For the proper pioneer format, as we wish it could be.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that we're just going to be stuck with this for a while. I think you're going to have to play Treasure Cruiser Nectos if you really want to compete, and those are the two pillars. You know, I don't think Dig is as good as Cruise in this setup because, like, there's no yeah. like, there's no inverters, there's no like Heliod, there's no like nothing like that. I think,
2: I think the power level of the format is low enough that. Maybe you can wiggle room something else with more printings.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But for right now, yeah, Nykthos and Treasure Cruise are just so strong. Yep.
0: Yeah. We'll see where things go. We'll see where uh Explorer goes <laughs> on Arena. The the format that they printed an anthology for and put neither Nykthos nor Treasure Cruise into, apparently. This is like leaked data from looking in the client but i think that's like pretty fair to to do that i don't i don't think that really counts as like stolen information or anything but yeah what a what a strange couple of cards to not put (laughs) into the format and i don't really understand it but whatever i
1: i mean i just pretend that client doesn't exist anymore personally I'm not, That's that, what I'm I'm not gonna too. lie. It's like, a
2: good it's a great plan. It's really good for my happiness.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can I can just like get real stuff if I win matches on MTGO and I can like you know convert them to things that I care about instead of like I don't know get things that go into a black hole economically speaking.
0: Uh yeah. I it's tough. It's not the best.
1: Nope, not the best. Um yeah, I don't know. Pioneer's okay. Think moderns okay? SNC sealed deck would not recommend having to play that ever again.
0: It's uh, the worst sealed deck format.
1: Um uh, I mean, I can think of worse ones, but they involve like weird synergy. Sh- there was a, like there was a point where MTGO ran like mocks cube sealed, and that's pretty awful because most cubes are designed to be synergy based, so you just end up with like a fucking nonsensical sealed deck. And really, what you were hoping more for was mana fixing more than anything else.
0: Uh, and I mean, that's the same with with New Campana Sealed. Is you're just like hoping that your <laughs> mana fixing lines up with your spells, and it yeah. keep, it just usually doesn't. And so your choices are like have a deck where the mana works, but your spells don't do anything, or have mm-hmm. a deck where your mana doesn't work, and you're playing the spells and just like really hoping to draw the mana for your spells. And it's one of the least fun experiences I've ever had playing Sealed.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I know a bunch of stores actually ran Double Masters Sealed as a qualifier. And can you do that? Is that legal? It was. It was fine. Now, you could have done that. And I was thinking about that and I'm like, wow, this makes... you actually have the opposite problem in Double Masters Sealed where I think your brain implodes trying to figure out what cards you should play because the Crypt Expires lets you do so much nonsense, right? Like, because you have six, like, essentially gates you can assign in your sealed deck. And... Actually, I was told at one of the qualifiers, you were allowed to, like, change, change it, the colors. Yeah. yeah. You could put, it's like, another piece card. of paper. Well, I think this circling nonsense is really bad because Sharpie, like, ink doesn't even stick onto the card very well. So yes. at at the qualifier itself, they just had a, like, little piece of paper that said, like, white, red, or, like, blue, black, or whatever. But I'm just, like, if you're not careful with the piece of paper, can, like, mark the card, like, thickness-wise as well. So, I don't know. It, it it obviously is not an ideal situation. Expires feels like a card that they meant to put into a digital set and then accidentally put into double masters instead.
2: Yeah, it feels like a card they put in Infinity, and they're just like, "Oh, this is like a functional card. We're just going to ship it to the next master set."
1: <laughs> I see. Uh, I guess
2: because it's an Infinity soul thing, just like marking your cards. I yeah, but with sticker, not with pen.
1: Oh
0: god!
2: It is
1: well. Let's, uh, I, I'm gonna not discuss that topic because i think it's insane i hope none of those cards are good is what i'm really hoping for
0: oh no, no they, I, they won't be it i want matter. god i want to use stickers in legacy i just oh my god
2: please i i'm ready i'm so ready
1: for <laughs> i'm it. just i'm just pretending none of the cards are good that's I mean, that's my ml
2: yeah i mean i'm gonna just refer to what i think it was a Ritter's tweet where it's like stickers are gonna ruin legacy and it's like the reality volcanic island telfer Oh, <laughs> so I, re- I responded
1: to that. Did you mean Volcanic Island DRC go? And then yeah, and yeah, then yeah. he replied to me saying, I knew I should have turned replies off. <laughs> he laid a pretty good beat on me. I'm just like, well, you set your, you lined I, yourself
0: up for that. Yeah. I, I
1: did. I really just walked into that one. I can't really blame him. Obviously, it was a good beat. <laughs> There's always one guy who thinks he's clever. Was it Ryan or me? It was probably Ryan this time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's gonna win, and that's the whole point of Twitter—is to win (laughs) the conversation.
1: Oh no, it's to win clout points, right? That's what they're called, clout points. Yeah, if you get enough clout points, you can redeem them for super clout.
0: Yeah, clout has lost. I don't even know what clout is anymore. Now that we're so like atomized and disconnected, and don't like go to tournaments, and like I don't. I mean I guess that's all that's left then, right? Is online clout. You just gotta like be, be oh, the oh, biggest oh. and baddest Twitterer.
1: I was told that paper magic paper magic is back and well, so we don't have to do this anymore.
0: Oh right. Oh yeah. We're oh, still it. gonna do it though. But,
1: yeah. <laughs> We're still gonna do it. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's RCQing. I'm done. I'll 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 share it with the with the uh podcast you know listeners some pieces of advice about this it's not a sprint it's a marathon i was i was prepared to go like six weeks deep into this if necessary fortunately it only took me two but i i have enough tournament experiencing knowing that like it's actually really hard to win a tournament even if you're the best player in the world in the room and some of the tournaments i wasn't so like here here's my first one result one three one three drop just hang out bird Try to learn more about the format by watching what other people are playing the tournament. Because I think that sort of stuff does matter, like we brought up. Like, watching games of Magic in paper does matter. Because then you can get an idea of how people, like, operate in the area you're in. Even though, like, it's weird around this area, around DC. Because there's, like, a Virginia portion and a Maryland Maryland portion. And there's not necessarily all the cross-pollination. But I thought there would be enough people who would try to go to both. That you can learn something and try to, like establish what's going to happen the the day after that well also on that specific modern one there was actually like a big pioneer rcq in like maryland i just chose to play the modern one because i was lending uh tommy my pioneer deck and he lost the finals with green devotion so like props to him obviously he's still on the hunt by the way that is one of the most dangerous opponents you can have like (laughs) d Sanderson. he also is like he's a very fast player um irl and I don't like. He doesn't really make mistakes, obviously, because his ammo on MTG is just to play like so much magic. So like, it just eradicates all of the mistake making from him. And he won so,
0: so many Moto PTKs like un- an unbelievable yeah. number of them. So yes, yeah, a, I mean, a scary player.
1: Yeah, um, he's still on the hunt. I think I'm probably going to lend him some more Pioneer cards soon, and hopefully, he gets one. I, I. I- I mean, but what I'm saying is like even he he doesn't win right away either like that's just that just tells you how like how hard it is to win a tournament, even if you're the best player in, in the room, so you have to keep going, so I went one, three, four, two, four, two, and then win i mean that's I think that's kind of fortunate because in the other three tournaments, I was dead by round four every time mm-.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In like, you know, like five or six rounder, you know, you know how it is. Like these tournaments are not going to get to seven rounds unless you you have a big store or they like put it in a hotel or something, you know?
0: Yep. Yeah. So take your second loss and
1: play it out. Learn, try to learn things because like it's an accumulation of knowledge. Like, okay, sure. If you're not going to play another modern event, like sure. Give up. If the rest of your qualifiers are pioneered, then maybe it's not worth your time. But, like, there's still value to be gained from playing those matches. Maybe you learn, like, you see some situation you've never seen before. Like, just physically playing with cards also matters if you're, like, trying to shake off the rust. I was trying to shake off the rust because I've literally never shuffled Yorion before. Like, this, like, <laughs> like, like here's what I did for the Yorion deck. I actually went to an FNM, even though I don't really, like, enjoy it that much personally. Because, like, I think I'm kind of the wrong type of personality slash, like, it it's not that fun for me to not have like games where I have to try to figure out what my opponent's thinking. Like if that makes sense. Because I think a lot of FMs I can just like go on autopilot and win most of my matches, and I don't I don't really find that very enjoyable.
2: Yeah. So you went to FM to like practice shuffling. Yeah. Yeah,
1: because fucking Yorion is so like different, you know? What with, with like the Grixis Shadow deck I played at like SCG Con Philly with Loris, I didn't bother with that because it's just like a fucking sixty card deck. The only thing I have to do is remember this fucking like broken 3 2. But I put it on like the upper left of my mat so I could always look at it. And like, yeah, it was that's just... where I put mine. Yeah, because like if you put it there, how the fuck do you like my graveyard's on the right side because I'm right handed? So like it just makes sense, you know? But <laughs> Yorion is a different like animal just to play physically. And like I said, I'm not at the doom make level of like you should just ban it, but like. I do think the like stresses it puts on a player for tournaments are not the most fun is how i would think. I,
2: so i i'm in a weird spot for like yorian sizes in physical tournaments because i think it's fine if you bring a yorian deck because you have to shuffle it and all that mm-hmm. but it's weird and awkward when you have to hand your yorian deck to your opponent to shuffle yes. and they're not familiar with it and your deck is double sleeved or not whatever if it's double-sleeved, it's a lot, lot harder to shuffle, especially if someone's not used right. to that volume. And that is... I mean, it sounds really petty. Like, I shouldn't play your index, my opponent gets to shuffle my cards. But, like, how many times are you got to let your opponent just, like, drop your deck, you know?
1: <laughs> a, lot, a lot of my opponents just, like, gave a cut, and I kind of respect that, because, like, who wants to deal with this fucking, like, abomination? Like, I mean... <clears throat> oh some people i talk to they play a lot of edh so they're used to it like some competitive players i know that play edh they're like yeah this is fine i'm like are you sure you're not just saying that because you are used to 100 cards like i don't really think this is fine And also there are no time constraints in edh so like i have i have real questions about like this this is fine doesn't actually seem fine to me
2: you have like three turns to shuffle your deck in edh
1: Oh, that's true, too. I forgot about that part. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyways, too long, didn't read version. Don't give up. Keep playing it out. D- really, you should play it out more often than you do. I know you do this, Lee. I go with the Reed Duke special, because like Reed always used to do that. Because there is really value to be gained by gaining experience. Reed did not get to where he is by just O2 like, dropping every tournament and not playing it out. In fact, I think like just playing out to like 7-2... Or whatever like in a nine rounder when you start o2 like it actually feels pretty good because like you know you won a bunch maybe you don't get prizes but you know you you learn some stuff along the way
2: and it always feels good to like even out your record like even if you just go like three and three you're like well you know i started it too so i'm glad i played it out and learned some stuff you know 33 three is a lot better than o2. it
1: actually like in vain with the read story i remember at pro tour dominaria both Reed and I were in O four because I know because he was sitting next to me. Eight rounds later, I was one seven and Reed was twelve four, or sorry, not <laughs> not eight. Uh, no, twelve rounds later, so you literally won every match. And I think you just have to develop mental fortitude from being in those spots. So that's like another value to playing it out in those spots, you know. Like he he did obviously he didn't top 8 because his riggers are like atrocious, but he I think he got like fifteen, and like O four to twelve four in a PD is like fucking fantastic, like. I mean twelve four is just a good record, period. Like no one yeah. really can debate that.
2: Also winning twelve matches in a row is absurd. Uh, yes.
1: Yeah, even even like like I said, even if you're the best player in the world, winning twelve matches in a row is generally not very likely. Like I mean it's it's just like it's it's an outlier generally speaking. Unless if your deck is extremely good and your draft deck is extremely good, because remember those PTs used to be split event even though RC Atlanta will not be. I believe it will only be Pioneer, which I'm a little bit sad about, but also understand organizationally speaking, they want to do that.
2: I'm not even sure when the new set comes out relative to I'll the give release. you a hint.
1: That release, that Saturday, is the release.
2: Okay. So. And
1: I just wanted to vomit when I learned that. I just like literally wanted to vomit. And I'm kind of just hoping there are no good cards for Pioneer in the new set.
2: Oh, are they legal for the? Yeah, the
1: that's why I wanted to vomit. Oh my goodness! And the LCQs, <sighs> they're not legal, but the RC, they are. I'm not playing wizards this time because I think Dreamhack probably picked the date. Yeah,
2: they did the schedule. Yeah. So
1: I, sure. I wanted to, I don't know. Also, I read a tweet that like the guy who was running Dreamhack got fired or whatever. I don't know if you saw that tweet. And I uh, also was just like, what's going on? I know this guy was like close to Onarog, like Onrog, like talked to him to like work that one event to like get the online coverage so i kind of just like i don't know what's going on over on their side and i'm kind of like terrified that like nonsensical decisions will be made or whatever you know like this one but like i think this one was sort of like this is when they could get the convention center and there they have a lot of other events that are not magic and they're like really big comparatively speaking so it does make sense for them I still want to vomit, though. I I, I fucking hate the <laughs> scramble for new cards.
2: Can't wait to attend the local pre-release and uh, annoy literally everyone there for whatever chase card is in
1: there. I remember buying Avicens for forty-five dollars a piece, and they are definitely not worth forty-five dollars anymore. Yeah, I lost a little bit on that trade deal. I also remember buying Liliana of the Veils for forty a piece, and that like was good for a while, and I don't believe is good anymore. But it also doesn't matter because I. I played so much with the Liliana over the years when it was... I think
0: you probably got your money's worth out of them. Yeah, I also did, at one point, sell a set of Lilianas to make rent one month. So, you know, they maintained (laughs) for a while.
2: I mean, it looks like they're still like $65. But if
0: you
1: consider inflation, my $65 is probably not as much as $40 was back then. Mm. But who can say for...
2: I'm not an economist. That's a made-up thing.
1: Wait, being an economist is a made up thing?
2: Yes. Yep. That's what I'm sticking up with. I this
0: agree.
1: is a very interesting uh, concept you've come up with that I don't believe I can agree with.
0: Your field is too adjacent. You, you well, don't, you don't oh, have oh, the no, proper perspective.
1: Well, no, no. I believe economists exist. I don't know if they always know what they're talking about. I think if it's that's about this... the
2: same
0: thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's uh, a very
2: big overlap there, unfortunately.
1: But yeah, um, anyways, I don't have that many tournaments to play anymore. I might play some Legacy. Like, I I kind of think there's some cool cards in Baldur's Gate that are worth exploring. Displacer Kitten is my jam right now. I've seen, uh, yeah, seen a lot yeah. of that online. Yeah. It looks neat. But I will rant about how the distribution channel for that card in MD Joe is extremely bad, because you can <laughs> only get it in Dreader Chess. And it fucking yep. like, annoys the shit out of me that they like did this again, it was. The, it's exactly the same thing as Capacan here. And when they adjust the drop rate, it's going to fucking plummet. So no one really wants to buy them, except for like the like hardcore whales that want to play it no matter what.
0: Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. I guess just another reason to have a rental service. I don't know how tough it is to actually rent it. but
1: Well, so I'm in a weird position that Cardboarder said not enough displacer kittens were open, so they are not renting them currently still. Uh, and so it's been a few weeks. But that's just because the drop rate is really low, and they just wait until there's like enough to cover their expected demand. Like they don't do the thing that I know the other service does, which is okay. We have a limited amount, so you can try to rent them, but it's still, like a fucking scramble, you know. It, it it's arguable which way is actually better. I think which is kind of funny, but you know I do prefer Cardholder personally. They're they're pretty good, and the folks if you talk to them, they're pretty supportive. Like. I remember when like the MH1 nonsense started happening, I asked them to raise my limit and they like cooperated because like decks were starting to get really expensive because of Ren and Six. And decks are still really expensive because of Ren and Six. I don't know. <laughs> Not much has changed because plus twenty cards also makes them more expensive. So yeah,
2: shout facts. out to them.
1: Um yeah, so I'll be playing SCG Con Baltimore. Will either you two gents be there?
2: I am likely to be there as of now, but I don't know what I'll be doing there.
1: I, I was about to say, I believe you're in a similar position to my friend Adam Raxio, K.O. you, who has recently qualified for Canadian Nats in Fab, not Magic.
2: Yeah, I I have been playing those events yeah, as well.
1: Exactly, I know. So I think there's a good chance that you might come for Fab then question i
2: definitely want to go there i don't know if i'm going to be conscripted to a magic team or just play flesh and blood i'm kind of i I think i would prefer to play flesh and blood i'm not feeling i'm kind of in your area where i'm not really feeling right uh any other magic formats right now very reasonable But we'll see i like baltimore i think baltimore is one of the better areas scg goes to maybe the best
1: well it's funny you say that because i believe baltimore is a terrible city but oh, not... I don't like the city. Oh, but, but... <laughs> oh, 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 fair. I was gonna say because I remember the time that Magilton and Tommy Ashton got mugged outside Sunday of you know like day two of an open. They were like walking back to their car like late at night and they got mugged. And you know,
2: yeah, the Baltimore. city of Baltimore is horrid. But uh, honestly, as far as SCG locations go, it is actually one of the better ones. Yeah, <laughs> my
1: agreed. I miss downtown DC, but they'll never go back there because it's extremely expensive because the area is super nice. Like that, when they ran that um, Team Limited Oath slash BFZ one, that's like literally three blocks from my office. And that's a really nice part of town. But the, the convention center is obviously insanely expensive. And that's why, like, every time they went back to DC, it was actually Chantilly, Virginia, near Dulles. And uh, I guess that's my rant about Baltimore and D.C. and
0: big D.C. (laughs) Well, with that, we can probably close out this episode unless we got anything else particularly pressing.
1: Ah, I've I've, I've... I've got nothing. I I think I've spewed everything I have about magic right now.
0: See, that's that's the whole point. I, you know, Nick came on last week because he was like, I got things I want to say, but I don't want to, like, write an article or anything. Can we just do this instead? And I think this is a great venue for that sort of thing. Jarvis, we do appreciate you. Thank you very much for coming on again. And congrats again on your win. And, you know, I'll see you in Atlanta. So that will be nice. I mean, I'm going whether or not I qualify, but hopefully I will be qualified. So Right. Thanks everybody else so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. You can find Jarvis on Twitter and Twitch. Jarvis, you want to give them those links?
1: You might me, Twitter jkyu06, Twitch Jarvisu, and also I want to shout out Medify, which is a coaching service. You can also find me there listed as Jarvisu.
0: Awesome. And if you pop in on Jarvis's streams, you know, like some of his tweets. That's you know, I'm trying to not give the whole spiel at the end of the episode. Just give something you can do to support us. But I'm, I'm sending you Jarvis's way this week. Do something to support Jarvis's various content efforts.
2: It's pretty easy to do because you make it really easy. You like post VODs and have records and stuff. If you want to look it up. I actually really enjoy that you do that. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. And you, you're, you've got an active YouTube channel going as well. So people should definitely check that out too. Right. Thanks everybody so much. Appreciate your time and. Have a great week. Bye.
1: Bye.